I'm sitting alone and there's nothing around to do. It's that smile on your face that just keeps on shining through. Welcome back to another and new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in no, entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. I have an exciting announcement to make, so stay with me during this episode to hear this latest news and the details about it, because it's something interactive for you. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Seattle, my guest is a composer, singer, multi-instrumentalist, and songwriter who splits his time between the Pacific Northwest and Los Angeles. His latest album, a 10-song release, came out last August, and almost one year ago to the day, he had a 31-track release that was an original television soundtrack. A regular performer and recording artist, he also composes and produces for various projects, with his credit including a number of Lifetime films and singing for video games. He is a former member of the Seattle Symphony Chorale and works as a sessions artist for commercial music and soundtracks. You've been hearing an original song of his called Stupid Line. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Anton Dupre. Hi, Bruce. Anton, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me to the show. You bet. You bet. My gosh, as I was preparing for this, so many questions were piling up in my head. I hope I'm going to remember them all, if not most of them. <laughs> but let's make sure first that you get a chance to share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called Stupid Line. Um, yeah, so you mentioned in the uh, um, previous credits, Lifetime and, and Hallmark stuff, too. Um, so that, that song was actually written for a bike riding scene in a rom-com um, and you know, just kind of drew from uh, a little bit of my, you know, earlier dating periods in life, as well as, you know, just feeling what was going on in the scene, but essentially just a, a nice little lighthearted song about that kind of slow burning new love where it's like, will they, won't they? And you're finally crossing that line between friendship. Um, still kind of that, that giddy phase of, of that new young love where, your brain gets all mushy and there's uh, a part in the, the song where you just kind of forget the lyrics and just start singing la da 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 da. And <laughs> you know, it's, it's, <laughs> that's just kind of that, that giddy, young, mushy, happy, new feeling of love. And, and then starting that, that growth of knowing each other's faults and that that's okay. And that arguing isn't the end of the world. And that's might be one of the things that, that you love the most because it's, it's still a form of connection. I think this is an interesting opportunity for, I always tend to lean towards those in the audience who are aspiring performers, but I think even just the general listening audience who are fans of music or fans of music interviews in general will be interested to know that music gets placed in film and television a bunch of different ways. They might go into an artist's back catalog and say, hey, we found this song of yours. We'd actually like to use it in our show. Or they can go to someone like a um, music supervisor and say, please get the, the music for us for this next project. And so in a case like that, they might put the word out, this is the scene 
that we're looking for, and they'll just have a description of the type of song they're looking for, or it might be, look, here's the scene we're showing it to you. So, Anton, I'm curious in that case, since you said about that being an example of one of the placements that you've had, what was the case when you wrote Stupid Line? Did you already see visually what the scene was going to be, or did someone describe this is the type of song we're looking for? Was it something from your back catalog? How did that particular placement come to be? Uh, so in this case, it, it was um, a scene that I saw, um, and I, I have the lucky opportunity sometimes of a, a film that I'm writing additional music for, like the underscore, um, you know, the stuff without lyrics that you hear um, underneath scenes or for transitions or to help, you know, strengthen or or essentially underscore a moment. Um, and since this one was kind of a, a montage, usually uh, for, for that particular production company, they like to use songs with lyrics because it, it can help carry the story a little bit more. Um, so with that one, I had already been writing music for the, the underscore. Um, and then this was one of the scenes that they needed a song. And so wrote uh, that original song specifically for that scene. So you did get to see the scene first? Yes. Yep. Let's do a little housekeeping first before we really get our sleeves rolled up here. I said that you're calling in from Seattle and that you split your time between there and Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. even though I also mentioned in the intro that you're a former member of the Seattle Symphony Chorale. What is all this back and forth all about? Where are you originally from? You know, are you from somewhere other than Seattle or Los Angeles? If so, when did you move where? Just take us through all that before we dive into all things Anton Dupre music. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll I'll try and make it quick because it's that's it's a longish random story. But I, I <laughs> originally grew up in Central Nebraska. Wow. Um, went to to high school there. Went to college at um, Nebraska Wesleyan University in Lincoln. I joined the Navy and I majored in um, music and uh, exercise science, kind of pre physical therapy. And then I joined the Navy and I was. Uh, in the the Navy music program. And after several years of traveling around and uh, writing and performing uh, and covering music, um, ended up in Seattle for love as well as for uh, my physical therapy graduate school. Um, And then since going to LA had always been a dream of mine and had kind of Around about passed through there from time to time while I was um, in the Navy and I'd have time off and travel there and just try and start making connections and things for a, a future career, hopefully, uh, at that point. Um, so that's uh, one of the reasons why I moved down to Los Angeles right after the pandemic started, because um, things were starting to accelerate a little bit music wise and then things shut down and especially in Seattle a lot of the recording things were just gone Mm. Um, and some of the other projects that I was doing additional stuff for um, just kind of compressed their teams you know uh, or just went back to their their small core group that that was there Um, so that was the onus to move to to LA and actually meet and work with some of these people in person and Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of start to rekindle that career again. But we, we and I say we, my partner and I, we love both places. And so we, we have just been kind of going back and forth. And we're, we're lucky to be able to do that. 
I picked up in there where you said that you were doing music in the Navy. Was that your initial foray into music or is it, oh, I left that part out? No, I had been doing music for a lot of years when I was young. Yeah, I must have left that part out. <laughs> um, my, uh, I don't know, my music started when I was a young kid, I guess. My my dad was a music educator um, slash special educator. Um, and so I learned piano and singing and he played trumpet so i learned trumpet um i think i picked the trumpet up in third grade piano and like first or second grade um singing all throughout and then studied throughout uh, high school took private lessons and trying to learn theory and whatnot to get a jump on college and then studied it in college and continued since then folks we all have heard that observation about how when you buy a car you all of a sudden start to notice in a way that you hadn't before so many other drivers on the road who have that same car as you. (laughs) You almost end up asking yourself, man, why didn't I get one of these before? So many other people are driving one. That's the way it is with music creators and even content creators when it comes to, oh my gosh, you use a Focusrite audio interface too? And of course they do. I have seen this myself not only with guests who you've heard on the show saying that they use Focusrite, But I've been on location and seen people at events using what quite often is something from the Scarlet range of audio interfaces. In fact, we are officially less than two weeks away now from the entry period closing for the giveaway that I've been talking about on the last two episodes. One lucky winner will get the Scarlet 2i2 third gen USB audio interface from Focusrite, which, oh, by the way, just happens to be the world's best-selling such device to the tune of 5.5 million musicians and creators who have chosen Scarlet as their audio interface. So if you yourself are a producer, a musician, an engineer, basically someone who works with audio, get your entry in now. Here's how you can do it. Look for the link to the entry form in the description of this episode, regardless of the platform that you're listening through, or... On both the Now Hear This Facebook and Twitter accounts, I've got a pinned post, a pinned tweet with the link to the entry form. And of course, the links to Facebook and Twitter are on my podcast's website, nhte.net. Plus, each Wednesday in January, I am putting a link to the entry form in the weekly e-newsletter, so make sure you're receiving that. Heck, for that matter, write to me via podcast at nhte.net, and I will personally email you the link to the entry form enter by january 31st for your chance to win a scarlet 2i2 third gen usb audio interface from Focusrite and get pro audio quality for all your recording projects anton you were talking about moving around los angeles seattle etc and combining that with me having just mentioned Focusrite and the gear that they make for indie musicians you are someone who personifies that because As much as I read off back in the intro some amazing accomplishments of yours, you actually are a doctor of physical therapy. So tell us about balancing that with all that you're doing in music. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's, um, I I just realized that it kind of goes along with that. I left out a part. So after earning the doctorate in physical therapy, I went back to school and um, studied with one of my composition here it was honey man um, also in seattle now he was he's canadian was in la for a little bit um but so got my master of music and film composition studying with him and that was that was kind of the 
time period in my life when I figured out that there could be a balance. Um, when I was in the Navy, uh, I didn't have to worry about that because it was all music related and I had my eye on physical therapy, but didn't have to balance at the time. Um, when I was in physical therapy school, it was all consuming and I had barely any time for music and, um, it was a tough period, um, for that reason, since music has always been such a huge part of my life and having a big chunk of that just removed and put on the back burner for like three and a half years was just so difficult. Um, but then during, uh, the music master's program, I was able to go to school. I was able to go and work some physical therapy in the afternoons. I was able to come home, uh, you know, do the studies that we need to do and compose and work on our projects, uh, and balance with our, our family life too. Um, and it was, I don't know, I guess just, just a story of trial and error of a couple different chapters in life that had one or the other of, of those specialties a period where it was just impossible to balance the two. And then a period where I started to kind of get a feel for it. And mm. it was really one of the, the goals that I had as a kid, because, you know, whether it's my own personality of just being interested in too many things or uh, having a really strong uh, attraction toward physical therapy for my own experience with it uh, when I had some injuries and being able to help people, um, as well as music and, you know, the performance aspect, the writing aspect, the the fact that everybody listens to music. It's part of everyday life for a, a numerous amount of reasons. And I, I wanted to do both. And so I, it was just, a, you know, over the course of a couple of decades, figuring out for me anyway, what worked, what didn't, and finding that, you know, I really could enjoy both of those things that are so near and dear to my heart. And having said that, including your statement that music has always been such a big part of your life, let's dig in further here. What does your songwriting process look like versus your composing process? Um, <laughs> what's funny in talking about stupid line, that kind of blurred the two. Because um, typically when I'm when I'm writing songs, and that's where I started as, as a a uh, songwriter back in not professional, but in, in high school and then into college and, and getting some placements and performances and, um, you know, local stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always writing about my thoughts and my experience and the shift for composing. I mean, sometimes it's that if we're writing for, you know, libraries or trying to just write in a certain style so that someone can pick it up for a placement or for uh, a trailer or something. Um, but more often my um, experience in, in film scoring is where we have the the scene, we have the visuals, we have the, the script, if, if there's, you know, dialogue going on at that time. And so we have that, that influence that we're writing to support instead of writing for me, if that mm, makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, we still get to bring yourself into it but it's it's different it's not a standalone thing that you know listen to my song or listen to my piece of music it's like no here's this other element that we're helping to 
to just craft this scene to give you that that all-encompassing experience of what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're feeling, and just everything that's going on on, on the screen. It's interesting because as you're saying that, I'm thinking way, way back, way back. It was either episode 56 or episode 8, but when Dominic Pages was on, he has an expression where he talks about a song is essentially a three-and-a-half-minute movie for the blind, is the way he calls that. Ooh, I like that. And so if you think about it, songwriting is what you just said. It's just that's all it's going to be, and someone's going to have to use their imagination, whereas when it's scoring a film— you do have the benefit of supporting visuals. So it's a great contrast that you showed us there because I think it really does shed light on the fact that they are very different. As, as similar as they might seem, you're writing for someone's imagination versus supporting visuals. Yeah, and the, I mean, songwriting can be really collaborative as well if you're working with different writers or different musicians. Um, composing has to be collaborative because it's, you know, to have a good underscore, if, if you're doing it correctly, you shouldn't really notice it. It should be, you know, it can still be fantastic music, but it's there helping to support it. You know, it's a part of what's going on, not standing alone saying, look at me, look at me. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good example, but um, yeah, it just, it, the process is just, it just comes from a different place. But it kind of puts you into the seat of a music supervisor and you wonder how they look differently at someone's back catalog as opposed to let's have someone start from a blank slate because it is so specific, the scene that they're trying to bring sound to. And you think, boy, you really have to find the needle in the haystack to go back to someone's back catalog and say, this song from this album from this year would actually work really well for the scene. It, yeah, it's amazing the the work that supervisors do and, and being able to well have have such a vast knowledge and collection of uh, and listening experience of of everything that's out there, um, but to also have that skill to to place it is just really really neat. I've heard some artists who will say, "I really want to try to start getting some placements," but. You know, in that case, I think, and, and please, Anton, help me through this if, if I'm way off track, but I think in that case, it's going to be, well, there is the difference that you just described. So unless you happen to have something you've already recorded that's going to be fit for one of the scenes that they're still trying to put music to, you're really better off availing yourself to those people and saying, here's a sample of my writing. I can write for whatever your needs are. Am I close? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, either, either door could work. Um, whether you have a, a vast catalog that, that someone finds, or you just happen to get in, in contact with the right people, one thing's chosen, and then maybe they explore some more and another thing's chosen. Maybe they use something that works really well. And the same production company or the same director or the same producer uses that that same thing over and over or maybe somebody else hears it then and then they use that same thing over and over or it could be the, the reverse like you said of getting to know someone writing something unique and specific for that and then having that shoe in the door like oh okay you can write you know original specific things for each of of, of these films or each of these trailers or commercials or whatever that we need um and either either way works and it's i think my 
initial bit was that. So it wasn't this song, but it was writing for that same company maybe like seven years ago. Wow. Um, and wrote something for them and then discovered that I had all these other things that I hadn't released yet and a couple things that I had, but it was really terrible mixing because I did it myself. <laughs> uh, and so I took them down and, and, you know, tried to, to redo them. Um, and a lot of those things were then, you know, used and they found some of that library stuff that I had just sitting there that I hadn't done anything with. And mm. now there's new use for it. And yeah, so either way is great. And it's just a matter of networking and communication and just trying to, you know, be yourself and just enjoy meeting as many people as you can because you never know when that connection is going to come. There was something that you said in there that really opened my eyes to something that I don't think I had an awareness of before. Did I hear you say there could be a song that is specifically for a trailer, meaning it doesn't actually end up in the film itself? Yeah, so most most trailer music isn't in the film wow. at all. Wow. Um, since since maybe twenty years ago or so, because there was, I'm not uh, qualified to talk about the history of trailers, um, but you know, I'm sure people can recognize the difference in trailers today versus like you know the 2010, 2011, 2012 period. The the aughts from 2000 to 2010 had a lot of that like happy go lucky some of the time, sometimes dark, but still had remnants of that inner world and had, you know, text on the screen and like some overlying uh, dialogue and a narrator and whatnot. And nowadays there isn't very much narration at all. It's just a track that they, the editors actually cut, the visuals to the the track and you know the I, I don't do much trailer writing and the folks that do are quite phenomenal because it, sometimes it's a little bit formulaic where they they just know what they can do to help build tension or to build mm. you know happiness or love or anticipation and still have it crafted that they can break uh to be able to cut it and fit it to things and take a pause for uh, a character to say something. Um, But yeah, so a lot of the times the the music for trailers is either crafted specifically for that written in a way that it can be cut and, and pasted and still retain its, um, its form, Mm -hmm. you know, enough. Um, And then a lot of, songs are kind of remixed now by you know they'll take the stems Mm. and make it more cinematic and that's really cool to see in a minute i'm going to give out your website and other anton dupre music online destinations and of course we heard one of your songs at the beginning of this episode and we'll hear another one at the end but now that we've heard about your creative processes to give the audience a sense for what they might expect when they start diving into your catalog who are your influences and inspirations I kind of break my music influences into three categories. So just kind of because of my dad's training and his likes, I grew up mostly listening to classical jazz and uh, the blues. And so I had a lot of, um, I remember sitting there in, in front of, you know, his big system with headphones on so I didn't bother the rest of the family <laughs> and listening to Beethoven, listening to Mahler, to Satie, uh, Frank Sinatra, 
Quincy Jones, wow. Wynton Marsalis, Tony Bennett, uh, Harry Connick Jr., Ella Fitzgerald, just so many mm. rich influences, uh, you know, across centuries. Um, and that was kind of my experience until, I guess, high school, college age, when you're kind of branching off and starting to find what you like and what your friends like and blah, blah, blah. That's when I kind of got into the the pop rock singer songwriter r&b hip-hop edm um i guess well then it was i we called it like just electronic and techno i don't think it was electronic dance music yet they kind of so many micro genres <laughs> now um that's when i discovered my, my love of just you know simple guitar and singing um mm. and Joni Mitchell and Peter Gabriel were, were huge influences then John Mayer came a little bit later later um for like R&B still kind of jazzy piano roots I I was obsessed with Brian McKnight for a while mm. um with some of the pop things it, it I, I think this is where my film scoring and producing ish ear kind of came was I noticed a lot of artists sounded the same just because they had the same you know producers or songwriters and Max Martin was a huge one in in the 90s for a lot of the boy bands and young pop stars and stuff. Um, the Foo Fighters were, well, Nirvana first and then the Foo Fighters um, with Dave Grohl were just really fun influences because we played in a punk band for a while. Um, and then for electronic stuff, Tangerine Dream and then ah. um, Dead Mouse and Cascade and just you know, all, all, again, just this rich tapestry of so many different genres out there and so yeah. many different styles of music and, and ways to use music. And, and even all of their backgrounds are completely different. Um, and then uh, it was in college when I started getting into film music. And, you know, it was, it was kind of that oh duh moment where it just realized somebody writes all that music that we're listening to in film and TV. like somebody's writing that like oh this is just an epiphany this this wonderful thing um and you know i had heard so many folks by that point but had never paid attention to who they were but that's when i kind of dug into one of my favorite movies um Robin Hood Men in Tights uh, mm. by Mel Brooks and mm-hmm. Hummy Man, the, the guy that I ended up studying with eventually uh, did the score for that. Uh, John Williams, of course, everybody knows his name, Hans yeah. Zimmer. Um, some of the other folks that are s- still kind of more jazzy is uh, John Barry for the Bond films. Terrence Blanchard is one of my favorite trumpet players, but also is a pretty successful film scorer. Um, Max Richter, um, kind of comes from the classical background uh but has a lot of just really minimalistic and ridiculously powerful uh pieces that he's written and a lot of those have been you know we were talking earlier about songs being written and then placed in you know films and trailers and stuff um but max richter had written on the nature of daylight not for a film and then that was used in Shutter Island. That was used in Arrival. It's ah. used in so many things nowadays because it just, you know, just like a a song that that is either universal and can be used for lots of stuff, or is so specific to a feeling that it just works for that feeling yeah. wherever it's placed. Um, and then some more kind of fun uh, 
mix of rock, electronic, class, uh, classical stuff. Uh, Henry Jackman is one of my favorite composers, and then Thomas Bergerson, um, who's one of the guys in um, Two Steps from Hell. Who, they, they do a lot of trailer music. And, and another example of folks that just write epic stuff, and then it can be used for, for different things. And so it was, you know, that vast and varied influence of finding that there's something for everyone and if you can find that part of you that that enjoys it then it's like it's cool it just enriches your life so much more okay and now i want to put the writing to the side for a minute because in a minute when i give out your website people are going to go to your website and they're going to see this beautiful picture at the top of you performing and you know I can sit here and record these podcast interviews in my pajamas if I want, and no one will know, but it's the quality of the content <laughs> and the audio, of course, that are important. Of course, when I'm recording on location for that interview, I'm going to be showered, I'm going to shave, I'm going to wear some NHTE apparel, look the part, so to speak. Anton, I'm thinking here about studio recording versus live performance and perfection versus showmanship. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on all that. Yeah, so kind of started my life as a as a performer because you know when you're younger and you're going to concerts and you're a part of your school choirs and your community stuff and you're seeing traveling shows coming through and whatnot. That's your visual experience, and you know that there's studio recording going on because obviously you have you know records or cassettes or laser discs for a little bit or cds <laughs> or those little mp3 cds that were out for a bit or streaming um and that has to come from somewhere but a lot of the um and, and and i think this comes from my classical and jazz initial influence is that it's it's geared toward performance not recording and in order to record in those things you have to have the the performance first um and so that's that was kind of my my initial path, I started um, college with a degree in uh, vocal performance. Um, it was geared toward classical, had some jazz, and my uh, vocal instructor was um, forward-thinking for, for some of the folks in that realm and wanted me to to still keep my pop voice because I'd mess around with it once in a while but wasn't mm. – um, serious about it, but he's like, no, that's that's the thing that's going to get you gigs, and he was absolutely mm. right. Um, and so, it I started with performance, and then in the Navy did, and I and I wrote a little bit in in college because that's when I discovered that oh, it's fun to. Uh, well, if I back up a little bit, I had been uh, writing and recording my own stuff, um, just you know with a crappy tape deck and then um, some better equipment in college. But again, it wasn't something that I saw as, as something to make a living on. Um, and then in the Navy, since it was so much performing, I just got burnt out. And mm. so I, I kind of used that um, time frame to really reevaluate my my goals, my ambitions. I didn't want to be on tour all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so studio recording kind of started growing from that. I recorded my, my first album when I was in the Navy for of, of some other songs I wrote and really enjoyed the process of just 
oh, like this is such a nice, relaxing environment. <laughs> I, I, I have to bring my game, but I don't have to be a showman. I don't have to dance. I don't have to be flashy. Yeah. I don't have to entertain a crowd. I, I can just bring my voice or my guitar or my trumpet and just play. So that kind of got me headed that direction started doing the home studio thing of, you know, you, you mentioned focus right before. And I had, uh, I, I can't remember what model I had, but I did have a focus, right. It was one of my first, um, audio interfaces and then have just kind of, you know, built and, and, and progressed things throughout the years, but have a, a, a decent home studio set up that I can do passable stuff for my own things. And then, um, you know, if I need, strings or loud drums or whatever else um that's what other studios are for um but it it just took the the pressure off and it's you know uh, again it's it's a misnomer that in studios you can just do things over and over and over and over until it's perfect and that's the case if you're already successful and can uh you know, pay for to reserve a studio for like a month or two and just go in and jam and eventually record and get something um, for for some of the things that I've done for my own projects for the master's program that we were in, which was really great because we got to have, um, I think it was 12 live studio recording uh, experiences like conducting an orchestra. Wow. Um, and then for the stuff that I did singing, even even before that, right when I moved to Seattle, just happened to get lucky. And, and this kind of goes back to that just just being you and living your life and being happy and and pursuing what you're passionate about. And just in doing those things, you're going to meet the people that are going to help make that happen. Um, and when I auditioned for the Seattle Symphony Chorale, right when I moved to Seattle, um, Joe Krenko, who was the director then was also the vocal contractor in seattle and he's like hey like it sounds like you got some pop chops under there ah. and like i want to you know get you on some of these sessions and like that's how that grew so it's wow. like, oh wow. that's really cool um but yeah just it, it was more the me being burnt out and not having to to, to be a showman just just to to bring the music you know that's why I like studio stuff. Yeah, because I'll jump in here and say, you know, audience, you heard that Anton does physical therapy and whatever he wears to that job, he can come home and he just said he's got a recording set up at home. So he could literally come home from that job and go right into doing whatever music project he's working on recording as opposed to, like I said, when you go on his website, you're going to see this beautiful picture where he's in this great suit there's a female singer next to him. I mean, you can tell this is a big deal. And so you see right there, very, very different environments and not just because of what you're wearing. I mean, you heard him say, you go into the studio, it's very relaxed. There's not a big crowd there. So a uh, really good job describing that for us. Thank you, Anton. I've got a really cool announcement to make as I promised at the start of the show. But first, let me stop and point something out here. While I do want to go into my break and say that I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Seattle by composer, singer, multi-instrumentalist, and songwriter Anton Dupre, when I tell you to visit his official website at antondupremusic.com, 
I usually follow that up by saying, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I used to either say the spelling when it was a guest's name that you might otherwise misspell, or I would say, look at the title of this episode on your listening device to get the proper spelling of the guest's name. I'm assuming which is always a bad word, that you know enough to do that, which is why I have stopped saying that. So just always remember that that's an option, although so is going to the show page for this or any other episode on nhte.net. Okay, so anyhow, on antondupremusic.com, you will see links for lots and lots of platforms that he is on, such as Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and one that I don't get to say very often, IMDb. You will also see links there for SoundCloud, which is one of the many platforms that this show is available on, by the way. And you'll see a link for Spotify. Give him a follow, of course, on Spotify, but support Anton by purchasing downloads of his music from the likes of iTunes and other online digital retailers. All right, here is the announcement that I have for you. Effective immediately, you can call me without even needing my cell phone number. I have an article about this with not only the link, but an invitation code that you will need and want. This is the real deal, folks. I've been having people call me over the last few days since I started doing this. It's not like those posts that you see recording artists or whoever put up where they give out a phone number and you just know it's not really them that you're going to contact. This is the OWL app. It's like OWL except spelled with two W's and two L's, so O-W-W-L-L. And the app itself is free. I actually sat in the office down in South Florida with the founder of the app, and he called it LinkedIn on steroids. I will be talking about this on future episodes in terms of the power of this app and being able to call people like me on there. But for now, here's how to get started. Either go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and then tap or click anywhere you see the link for home, and then read the article there that I just posted. The headline is, Help now a phone um, app call away. Or to save a step, to save a tap or a click, simply go directly to nowhearthis.net. And of course, that's H-E-A-R, nowhearthis.net. And you'll see that article there. And you'll be on your way to downloading the OWL app and calling me and others who are on there. These are actual voice calls. I want you to call me on there and talk about the podcast or maybe something I can help you with. Get on the OWL app and let's chat. Anton, speaking of me having a big announcement, I think you do as well, because in the lead up to today, you told me that you have a new album called Songs of Feeling. But since I'm not seeing that on iTunes, I'm guessing that you're about to release that. Give us all the details about this project. Um, So it's actually in production still. It'll probably release um, late spring or early summer. Um but this is this is an album that I'm very excited about, um, just because uh, some of the other ones that are that are out there and released now are things that I've I've written for someone else with a smattering of of my own, um, you know, just writing for me. Uh-huh. Um, and this is going to be uh, an album that is you know, over the course of several years, oh my gosh, I think the the oldest one on here I wrote maybe nine years ago. Mm. Um, and they're all about very specific um, 
important experiences in my life. Um, and they kind of run the gamut of, of things from, and like real kind of not gritty and not dark, but just real topics. Like, you know, some of the other things are, we like happy love songs. We like just kind of feel good songs. We have some, um, just kind of meditative chill rainy day songs. Um, but the the ones on here are 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 just addressing some really really important moments and and my life and some others that are in my life and you know there won't be any identifiable details but stuff about like abuse and learning that it's okay to love again after that fact um about just the realness of fighting in relationships and learning that it's important to choose to be together every day instead of you know being right or expecting like this perfect relationship to just mm. happen um stuff about grief and you know carrying on your your daily tasks and routines that that you've done with a loved one that has since passed away and that's kind of the way to to keep them alive uh, or at least keep them close um one that was written uh, for one of my patients who has since passed now um, about uh, just, you know, the, the fragility of, of life and sometimes in degenerative conditions, like that's something that you have to reconcile with, mm. you know, years before you're, you're passing. Um, and then just the, the struggle of healing and, you know, r regardless of whatever a person's struggle is, there's a, a choice in an environmental setup and needing a whole lot of external support to move past that sometimes. So I'm, I'm just really excited to kind of put mm, some really uh, important, um, meaningful parts of my life out and have it stripped way down. It's not like happy popper or uh, energetic rock that I've done in the past with some things. It's, just me singing with either a piano or a guitar and then a string quartet. And wow. just, I'm just so pumped to kind of have this mix of that, that early um, classical and, and singer songwriter uh, influences and just to let, let the story carry the, the, the album. Well, that's great promotion in terms of building anticipation. And so audience, I'm going to remind you at the close of this episode about following Anton online and he just gave you a great raisin to there so that you can see when that album comes out and obviously you've got a real good taste now for what to expect from it next month will be the nine-year anniversary of this show and yet no matter how long someone in the audience has been with me over that time they don't know the following when I email a guest the details and instructions for our interview one of the things I say in there so that the guest has themselves in an environment that I know will give us good audio is no dogs barking in the background. <laughs> I actually should have brought this up during my interview three weeks ago with Oliver Sean because on Instagram, he is always showing his dog. In fact, I think that not only did he mention his dog during that conversation, episode 463, but I'm pretty sure I've seen him include the dog on album artwork before. And Anton, you're probably going to start following Oliver Sean because you too are challenged with giving an interviewer quietness when you're a guest because of your passion for dogs too. Am I right? And, and by the way, is it ever a hindrance to your creative process when you have to be 100% dialed into a song you're writing or composing or recording that you're doing and you got a dog? Or maybe you have dogs, plural. I, 
Yeah, we've got two dogs. I'd I'd say um, 99% of the time, no, it's not a hindrance at all. And, and oftentimes it's a comfort, you know, sometimes too, like the, it, it's nice to have um, a furry. Well, our, our older dog anyway, he's, even when he was younger, he was super chill and we just got so lucky. Like the, the most laid back black Labrador retriever you've ever met, like just so relaxing. And when I'm working on stuff, he'll usually just lay here next to me and listen and i know with some of the stuff it doesn't it doesn't translate 100 percent, and there hasn't ever been a study about it <laughs> as like the you know the, the statistical physical therapy side talking but that's um i can tell sometimes when a song or a uh, a piece for an underscore is getting the desired effect because he'll he'll actually perk up his ears and listen or look and see and mm you know recognize that there's there's some really neat research on dog emotions um that wow. have come out over the years and wow. i mean that bond that we have with them is so special and it's really neat when he can sometimes be the first step in going oh like this is actually going the right direction um so usually it's 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 helpful or calming Sometimes, yeah, there's, you know, if, if they get excited about something or our younger one is a little bit more high strung and, you know, if they hear a car go by or someone come to the door, then there's a lot of noise. But um, thankfully, I can isolate uh, myself back in the studio here if I need to. So, But that's still very interesting because getting back to the Oliver Sean interview, and I think what what's happening here between that one and what Anton just said is I think people assume, again, there's that bad word, that when someone like Anton is creating music, that they want to show it to a producer first or someone that's in the music business that they know, like, and trust, as they say. And in fact, Oliver Sean said he lists his mom as a co-producer on everything he does because she's the first person that he not only shows it to, but he lets her have a voice in it. And so that's unlikely someone thinking, wow, you show it to your mom, and now here's Anton saying, I can actually tell if I'm on the right track by the way that the dog is reacting. So that's that's very interesting. And speaking of past guests, such as Oliver Sean, back on episode 319, Muriel Anderson talked about a cookbook and companion CD that she put out. It was a really clever project. And Anton, I guess you're going to want to follow and connect with her also <laughs> because cooking is another creative outlet for you too, yes? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say I was ever a cook until maybe... Uh, 12 years ago now. Um, but prior to that, I always liked making my own food because I was, I was a okay-ish athlete in high school and college in the Navy. And so I wanted to just have more control about what I was putting in. Um, and so, you know, would make food, but wouldn't really call myself a, a cook at that point because I wasn't um, – exploring with different spices and recipes and different ingredients and whatnot. It was just making what I knew were, you know, good, clean things to, to put into me for performance and recovery. Um, but I think it was, um, yeah, probably about 12 years ago when I got out of the Navy and we finally moved in together. Um, we had like a long distance relationship for four ish years. Cause we met right before I joined the Navy. Um, and so that was kind of tough, but it was kind of a creative outlet because one, you know, we were wanting to 
literally spice up things that that uh, <laughs> we were enjoying for nutritional purposes as well as enjoyment because there's so much joy in food. Um, and then since I became a physical therapist, I'm still human and balancing two careers is is tough some days. And there's there's sometimes where whatever happened that day, um, I'm just completely physically and mentally and emotionally drained from uh, my physical therapy work, and I just don't have the energy to to create anything music wise. Um, and sometimes I'll use those days just to to chill out and just play piano or guitar or sing or something, um, just doodling if you will and not recording not working on anything just trying to decompress mm. but other times if i'm if i'm too tired for that or just really need a meal um then sometimes i can use cooking as that creative adjunct because mm. you know it's like the ingredients are your instrumentation and your orchestration and what's what's your what's your band or your group made up of and then you know, how you're putting them together and in what proportions and wow. the spices are kind of like the thematic material or like building that melody. And it just, I don't know, it, it, it kind of became this, this thing that, and maybe it's just a lie that I tell to myself, but it works. <laughs> um, and that, and that balance between the two, if I, cause I used to be so resentful of myself when I was in physical therapy school and not doing music at all. Cause I was like this, like that has been, my life for so long and it's gone right now. And like, I hate myself for that. And so I, I really strove to try to find that balance after that period. And I, on those days where I'm just too tired to do anything, I'm like, okay, well, I can still use this creative side of me for something good to make a meal. And, you know, if, if I'm thinking of it that way and like what this instrumentation is and what the, the ingredients are, then maybe I'm still kind of building something that I can utilize later yeah, on. Yeah, I like that comparison. And by the way, warning, warning, bad joke ahead. For those of you that are audio engineers, I'm thinking of Anton looking at a recipe and it calls for something that he doesn't have. And so he substitutes something else and says, that's okay, we'll fix it in the mix. <laughs> I have to say that I admire that's your awesome. putting a priority on things like dogs and cooking to name just two. Back on episode 417, singer, songwriter, guitar player Townsend talked about losing her close friend, who is her drummer, in a car accident and the great awareness for mental health that she gained from that. Again, just like any other past episode that I mentioned, I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Anton, in the same vein, and as I was saying about putting a priority on things like dogs and cooking, you are a very busy physical therapist and a musician, but you are also very focused on life, love, happiness, mindfulness. Yeah, that's something that I've found has always been the core of of who I am and hopefully the core of who everyone is. Like, you know, of course no one chooses to be stressed or anxious or depressed or you know fear of missing out or angry or you know the emotions that aren't negative they're they're still helpful they're a part of us um but having having that balance and understanding what they're for and why and some of my perspective comes from my upbringing some of it comes from different mentors that I've had some of it comes from you know just 
reading and podcasts and and TED talks and stuff. One of my favorite podcasts is the Happiness Lab because it's it gets both of my favorite worlds. It's it's research based, but it's also very practical based and like how you can implement these things in your life. And and then some of it just comes from you know trial and error throughout throughout life. And the days that I'm most disgruntled or for lack of a better term pissed off or the days when I'm hardest on myself and comparing myself to where I think I should be or what I think I should be doing and I know we all do that and that's important for goal setting but in the moment that doesn't help the past that doesn't help the future it just kind of creates this this turmoil of I'm not good enough or I'm not doing the right thing Mm. and I found just with with, and it does take practice, but in finding, you know, taking my specific effort to, to find the joy in whatever moment um, I'm in when that thought crosses or if I'm having a, a bad moment or a bad day, I can go, okay, what are f- five things right now that I can actually appreciate at this moment? Like maybe it's mm. the temperature got a little bit warmer or that tree is really beautiful or there's this really cool song playing on the radio, even though I'm tired of standing in line. Um, and just, just finding those little bits of happiness kind of start to add up and to, to help to create that pattern of, yeah, life is, life is hard and can be rough. And I don't think any of us are ever at the point where we think we want to be, you know, career wise or success wise or relationship wise or fitness wise. But if we can take a moment to appreciate, you know, let's enjoy the moment right now. Let's take a time to look backward and see really how far up the mountain we've come already. Mm -hmm. And it's not that much further to go. And even if we don't get there, like this moment right here and this view right here is really pretty cool and really pretty special. And so I just kind of try to, to, and you know, I'm not perfect at it and never will be, but it's, it's really helped to at least increase the amount of time that I spend appreciating a given moment instead of thinking, okay, what do I need to do next and how do I get there? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Let's get back to a music question before we get set to wrap this up in the watch section of Anton Dupre music.com. There are lots of videos from YouTube and the recurring theme with those seems to be song placements, meaning your original works being used in film and television. I know that stupid line at the beginning of the show, we played it, you talked about that one singular placement, but I'm thinking that you're, for all intents and purposes, a full DIY indie artist, so I have to wonder how you are getting all of these placements. Like I said, people are going to see it when they go on the watch page of your website, and those are so highly coveted nowadays by music makers, so are you having direct one-on-one contact with music supervisors? Are you using a service, say like Taxi, for example? Do you have someone pitching for you? This is a good teaching moment for anyone listening who is an aspiring songwriter. Uh, um, the answer is yes to all of those things. Ah. Um, so it, I think my very first placement was through Taxi um, about a decade ago. And then it got... At that point in my life, it got so expensive to submit to every single taxi thing that that was applicable to me and only have maybe 
one of like 200 submissions be accepted it mm. was like okay i need to i need to find a more um financially stable way to do this um so started submitting to to other libraries um and it's it's really just trial and error sometimes you're going to be accepted and sometimes you're not and sometimes you're accepted with one or two things and you have a limit and other times you have carte blanche to just upload everything you have and you know create your own um um metadata for it um and then there's you know there's big libraries one that they use a lot is audio sparks there's boutique libraries one that i use is um um oh no <laughs> now i'm blinking on the name um but a, a guy who's a composer for a lot of tv stuff and has his own um music library that he does too and, and it was just a matter of meeting him in person because uh. a friend of mine had had been his assistant and was like oh you should go you know say hi and and so that came of it um some of the ones are from that production company that does a lot of the hallmark and lifetime things that one i'm just so fortunate for to have started as a composer and then be able to do both composing and songwriting for them and then sometimes it's just it's just that once you get that ball rolling stuff is out there and someone will hear it and go oh i want to use that song as well or hey i like that song i know it's exclusive can you do something similar to that or like what else do you have that's like that yeah yeah so it it really is just finding one door to walk through and then just just keep walking keep working i like it i like it We're going to close today with another one of Anton's original songs, one called Love Obsessed. Before I let you go and I play that song, Anton, share with the audience all about this track, if you would, please. (laughs) This one is fun because it's kind of a Trojan horse. It's uh, a a really upbeat, super funky tune. Um, I had a great group of uh, guys that helped. It was kind of the collaborative process of things like, if you collaborate with someone, things are going to be way better than what your initial idea was. And so I had a couple of my um, musician friends from the Navy, a couple from my composition program that, that helped add some things. Um, but this is just a real fun, upbeat, funky tune that has a really dark message about the obsession of love and kind of dealing with unhealth and like an unhealthy, all-consuming, almost like... Um, what is it like 50 shades of gray type thing where you're like, oh, okay, I like, I'm so obsessed with this person. I don't know what to do. And this doesn't feel right. <laughs> well, folks, fortunately it's a great anticipation that he just built for you. And you're not going to have to wait like you will for the album. I'm going to play that song in just a minute, but Anton, first I want to thank you for your time. It was great having you on now here, this entertainment. Thank you for making the time and congratulations. You're just doing so much. I'm really surprised that you're doing physical therapy because you're doing so great with music. So keep it up and we'll be continuing to root you on and watch all that you're doing musically in 2023. Thank you, Bruce. This has been an absolute pleasure and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat for a bit. You bet. You bet. With that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to composer, singer, multi-instrumentalist and songwriter Anton Dupre do visit his official website at antondupremusic.com. As I mentioned earlier, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Remember, go there to find, right at the top, logos linked to the various platforms that he's on, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and even IMDb. 
Remember that you can follow Anton and stream his music through SoundCloud and Spotify, both of which there are links to on his website, and both of which you can also hear the show on. But support him by purchasing downloads of his music from the likes of iTunes and other online digital music retailers. Keep up with him online, especially as it relates to his new album, Songs of Feeling, that you heard him talking about that will be out in the spring or summer. For that matter, tell Anton that you heard him and his music. I now hear this entertainment. Folks, I do hope that you enjoyed the interview and that you liked the show itself. If you want to extend a gesture to let me know as much, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and look for the yellow logo there that says, Buy Me a Coffee, and do exactly that. It honestly would mean a lot to me because it tells me that you like what I'm putting out each week. It doesn't matter where you're located. It's simply a way that we can have a hot beverage together virtually. You can even put a personal note on there for me to see. If you hear me say this each week and are just kind of confused as to what it's about, simply go there and look to see how simple it actually is. That's going to do it for episode 466. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Anton Dupre. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Love Obsessed. Obsessed, love obsessed, love obsessed. And if I don't think about you now every day.
just 